Let us now read from God's Word, His precious Word, in Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. This comes after the seven letters to the churches in the province of Asia. And now John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and forever, the twenty-four elders fall before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. So that is also the text for this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but as I observe what is going on in this progressive, so-called politically correct world, I have a sense of powerlessness and despair. Things are happening that only a few years ago seemed unthinkable. There is an increased hatred for God and his people and everything they stand for. Biblical virtues, which were once held in honor, are now ridiculed and discarded. Biblical principles are constantly under attack and our freedoms are more and more curtailed. What is this going to lead to? How is this going to affect our lives, the lives of our children 
and our grandchildren. How is this going to affect the church? Where is this all headed? Isn't it scary? For comfort, I turn to the book of Revelation. And this book was written by the Apostle John after he received a revelation from God on the island of Patmos. The Lord gave him that vision to encourage the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia who were going through some exceptionally difficult times. The word word revelation, apocalypsis, means unveiling, uncovering, and exposure of what is hidden. God gave John a glimpse of heaven. He removed the veil that exists between heaven and earth and gave him a bird's eye view of what God and his angels in heaven see as they observe all the happenings throughout the ages on earth. There are a lot of fantastical images in this book which are hard to understand. There are images of grotesques, dragons, and of fantastical beasts of many kinds, and of all kinds of catastrophes. However, John, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, or speaking in the Holy Spirit, expects the reader to be able to understand what is going on. For in chapter 1, verse 3, we are told that he who reads this book is blessed. That means that the interpretation is within our reach. Just listen and give your imagination free reign. And in so doing, don't get stuck on the details, but see the overall picture just like God does. That does not mean that every image and description is always immediately apparent. But it does mean that you are given the ability to get the total picture of God sitting on his throne, always being in control of all events on earth and of his people being vindicated, in spite of the many calamities and hardships they may have to endure on earth. The images that God gives us are meant to stir the imagination and to encourage us and to give us confidence in the hope of the anticipation of a glorious future. And that's exactly what those seven churches of Asia needed to hear. These people were hurting. Many of them were suffering extreme hardships. Some were put in jail. Many of them had lost their jobs, their reputations, their properties, their freedom, and even their lives. They needed to be able to put it all into perspective. That's why God gave them the book of Revelation. In the preceding chapters, the exalted Jesus Christ first gives a direct message to each of the seven churches, commending them for their faithfulness, while at the same time warning them not to go along with the evils of society. He wants them to persevere. The last thing he says to the seventh church, to the Christians in Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. 
as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, those who persevere will rule with God in the heavenly places forever and ever. They will be sitting with him around his throne. That's the picture that God paints for us. And so that's what I will preach to you about. It's about the glorious throne of God. And then we will see three things. We will see that around his throne we encounter, first of all, God's majesty. In the second place, God's holiness. And then finally, God's glory. So it's about the glorious throne of God. First, then about his majesty. John begins this chapter with the words, After these things I looked. That same expression is found throughout the book of Revelation. And we might be tempted to think that in this way we get a chronological rendition of what takes place in the future. First, looking back to the events of the seven churches in Asia, and then in successive visions of what will happen in the future. First this will happen, and then that will happen, and then that will happen, and so on. But that is clearly not the case. No, the visions are not about successive events. After this means that now the Lord Jesus gives John a new revelation. It's important to highlight this. For it is not so that Revelation describes chronological events in the history of the church. No, and these are visions of what will happen to the churches throughout the ages. All kinds of things will occur between the first coming of Christ and his second coming. So these things are happening today, too, all over the world. But the book of Revelation wants to highlight that no matter what happens here on earth, God is always on his throne. He is always in control. Whether it is the hair that falls from my head or the mountains that fall into the sea. And that is why we have this chapter about the throne of God. John hears the same voice that he heard in chapter 1 verse 10, who now says, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. John is invited to come up to the dwelling place of God. And immediately, that is precisely what happened. The Holy Spirit completely takes over John's spirit, and in a vision, takes him right into heaven. And there, what does he see? He sees the glorious throne of God. It is obvious that the throne is of central importance. In this chapter and the next, which together form a unity, the throne is mentioned no less than 17 times. From the throne's perspective, John draws a picture for us of what heaven looks like. And you can tell that he gropes for words to describe, because what he sees are heavenly things. And he has to be able to describe it for us so that we can understand it from the things that we know here on earth. And what he sees is absolutely magnificent. As we will see, it is in the same configuration as the tabernacle of the Old Testament. The throne stands central like the ark in the Holy of Holies. But there is someone seated on it. 
He who is seated on the throne is God the Father himself. However, no description is given. That's not allowed. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, God alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. And so no description of God himself. And But we get an amazing picture of God's beauty, power, and centrality to everything. He is shown in brilliant and beautiful light. He has the appearance of jasper, which has the brilliance like that of a diamond. He also has the appearance of a stone called sardius. Other translations call it carnelian, which is either dark red, orange red, or reddish brown. It is a glorious revelation of God in the center of everything. Everything forms, everything else forms a circle around him. First, we have a rainbow around the throne. What does that remind you of? Well, that reminds us of that God is in control of creation, as he showed at the time of the flood. The covenantal sign of the rainbow reminds us of God's assurance that nothing happens without his will. God rules and everything in his power and reveals his glory and majesty, floods, earthquakes, and all kinds of calamities including pandemics, can happen, but nothing happens outside of God's control and plan. And God's most significant plan for this creation, you know what that is? That is the birth of his son. All of the Old Testament points towards him and his sacrifice for all those who believe in him. The book of Revelation therefore also mentions his birth. In chapter 12, verse 5, it says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Satan did not want that child to be born. He wanted to destroy this child. But God would not allow that to happen. This child had to go to the cross, die, and rise again from the dead and ascend into heaven. In spite of all the evil planned for him, Satan could not snatch him away. And that's the way it has been throughout the ages, also today. We may worry and fret about what is happening here on earth right now, and we may be afraid of the earthy powers that be, but they're all just pawns in the hands of God. God is in the center always and totally in control, and everything, everything surrounds, revolves around him. But John is not finished. He also tells us that before the throne are seven lamps of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And those seven spirits represent the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Every Sunday you hear the words taken from Revelation 1 when you are greeted by the seven spirits. Here in this passage you are reminded that those seven spirits, representing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, reside there before the throne of God. This picture of the Holy Spirit here is based on 
Zechariah 4, in which the prophet sees the church, as it says in verse 2, as a lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. The seven churches representing the church of all ages have as their light the seven spirits of God, referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so we never have to be afraid. God is with us. John goes on with his vision. He says in verse 6 that before the throne is also a sea of glass, clear as crystal. All these elements go back to the Old Testament temple. There you would find not only the seven-branched lamp, but the laver as well, which is also referred to as the sea. The laver, the sea, is there so that the priest could wash his hands in there and also his feet, for he would have to be ritually clean before he could serve before God. And so the sea before the throne of God ultimately refers to the blood of Christ, through whom our sins are forgiven and through which we are washed to be made white as snow. In this way, John gives a vision of the triune God in heaven. For all the three persons of the Trinity are there. The Lamb, as we know from the following chapter, chapter 5, is approaching the throne of God, the Father, and is about to take his seat at the Father's right hand. The Lamb is also represented by the sea of glass. And the Holy Spirit is represented by the seven lamps of fire. And the Father sits on his throne. Almighty God is present there in all his majesty and glory. But he's not just sitting there. He's not passive. No, he's a God who acts. For what else does does John tell us? He says that from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings and voices. This is a reference to God's judgment and to God's holiness. And note well that thunder and lightning come before the storms. This indicates that no one and nothing can harm him and those who belong to him who are sitting around the throne. He also speaks, for his voice is heard. His voice, his thunder and his lightning portray his awesome majesty and holiness. All this reminds us of the time just before the Lord God gave his commandments on Mount Sinai. For we know from Exodus 19 verse 16 that at that time also thunder and lightning were heard. He also spoke to Moses. No one could touch the mountain. Anyone who would do so would surely die. Only those declared to be without sin can approach God's holy throne. All others will be struck down. And that is why it is comforting to see that he also tells us who else sits around the throne. For God is not alone in heaven. No, around his throne are 24 thrones. And on those thrones, 24 elders are seated. They are counted worthy to be there in heaven with the almighty and awesome God himself. Isn't that something? What a great and wonderful blessing. Do you know why? Why that is such a blessing? Well, because of whom those 24 elders represent. 
They represent the church of all ages from the Old to the New Testament. And so that includes you and me. That is the picture that God wants you and me to have as you go through your daily struggles. Isn't that amazing? That's what God has in store for us. But why 24 elders? And how do they represent us? Well, throughout the scripture, the number 24 is quite significant. In the first place, we know from Chronicles 1, Chronicles 24, that there were 24 divisions of priests in the temple. And that was the complete contingent of the priesthood. And those 24 divisions represented the total sacrificial service before God. And so no doubt those 24 elders before the throne of God represent the priesthood in service to God. But there is more to that number. And in the end of the book of Revelation, we read about the new Jerusalem. We're also told about a multiple of twelves. It says in chapter 21, verse 14, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The Old Testament church is also represented by twelve tribes, and the New Testament church by the twelve apostles. Together they add up to the number 24. And so together they make up the fullness of the church of God. And those 24 elders represent the complete church of God from the beginning of the world to the end. So now you have the emerging picture. Just picture it. The throne is in the center. God the Father is seated there and so is the Son who is represented by the sea. And who, as you can see in chapter 5, is on the way up to the throne. And the Holy Spirit, who is the light of the church, is represented by the seven churches. And around them are the 24 elders. And in this way, God opens the door of heaven to us. He takes away the veil. We can see it in our imagination. Now we have a picture of God in all his majesty and glory surrounded by his angels and by his people. But there's more. The Lord God is not only a majestic God, he is also a holy God. And John also describes that for us. Second point. As you know, God's holiness refers to his purity to his absolute separation from sin. And the four living creatures spoken of in the last part of verse 6 make sure that his holiness is maintained. For look at what we are told about them. Those creatures are covered with eyes in front and in back. Each of them also had six wings. And those wings are full of eyes as well, all around, even under the wings. What does that mean? Well, that means that absolutely nothing can escape their attention. They are there day and night. And they watch the entrance into heaven and guard the throne of God. No one and nothing can slip by them. God's holiness may not be compromised in any way. Nothing unclean may enter or approach. If you're familiar with the prophecies of Ezekiel in chapters 1 and 10, in Isaiah 6, and then you will note many similarities. 
Indeed, you cannot understand Revelation without being familiar with those prophecies. What becomes clear as you study this passage is that the four living creatures are cherubs, angels. For they also guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden, and they adorned the cover of the Ark of God, guarding the Holy of Holies. And now we see that in heaven it is their duty to guard the throne of God. But that's not all they do. They also serve before the throne. That is why they have six wings. They are very mobile and quick to serve. And John tells us that they have features like a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. And those features indicate their courage, their strength, their intelligence, and their great mobility. In these capacities, they protect and serve before the throne of God. And they sing beautifully. For he hears the voices of the four living creatures who never cease their singing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And that is also what Isaiah heard when he was called to be a prophet. He also heard that triple holy. Isaiah had to go into the midst of the people to proclaim the judgment of God. For the people of God defiled themselves with their sins and they would not repent. Isaiah, as did all the other prophets of old, had to remind them of their sins. For God punishes sin. He wants to maintain his holiness. And that, beloved, is as true today as it has always been. God maintains his holiness no matter what. We live in a filthy world. We live in a time where God's holiness is increasingly trampled upon. Man does not want to consider God's design for his creation and his commandments. He does whatever he feels good at the moment, and so he commits shameful act upon shameful act. Sexual immorality and all kinds of other immorality are not only condoned, but actively promoted. But God shows himself for he is. He shows that in the, pa- in the pages of his precious word to us, the Bible. And so we, in our lives as Christians in the midst of a heathen people, must do our utmost to reflect God's holiness, his purity, and his absolute absence from sin. The four creatures never stop proclaiming God's holiness. In their song, they refer to God as the Lord. God. The name Lord refers to the Old Testament name of Yahweh, the God of the covenant. He will do what he said he will do. He will be true to himself and also to those who belong to him, his people, you and me. And furthermore, in their song, God's greatness is also praised, for they refer to him as the Almighty. That name indicates his almighty power. And in his almighty power, he will bring this world from its beginning to its end. He created it all, and he will also bring it to its final destination. We do not have to doubt that. Believe in him. As we look at what's happening daily around us, it's easy to think that God is powerless. After all, why does all this evil around us happen? Why does he not interfere? 
we have questions, we ask, perhaps not aloud, why did he not stop that disease that disabled or killed my loved one? Why did he allow me to be abused? Why does he not stop the ravages of disease and hunger? Why does he not stop the people from blaspheming his name? And yet, brothers and sisters, here in this picture of God in heaven, we see him as the almighty God. The four living creatures sing of his almighty power. This is not a world without God. No, he knows what is happening here on earth, and he has all things under control. But he is bringing you and his whole creation to the end of times. And he wants us to believe in him, because through faith, no one and nothing can harm you. And that's what he wants the seven churches in Asia and us today to remember. That's the picture he wants us to have. In our minds. For to him does not only belong the power. But also the glory. And that, and of that glory not only the angels sing. But also man. We come to the final point. Revelation 4 ends with the song of the 24 elders. As we saw they represent the church of God. The Lord God is the one who gathers this church here on earth. And the glory is to him alone. It's his doing. And that is what the elders sing about around the throne of God. In this way, the Lord God also receives praise from man. And that is why we must also praise him. The elders have the perspective from heaven. They see that God brings all things to their glorious destination. You and I, we may struggle here on earth, and we do. It is turmoil and mayhem. And things are always in a state of flux. We live in a broken world. It is a world full of pain and sorrow. Time and again, loved ones are taken away from us. It is a world full of sin. And sin which we ourselves struggle against every day. And the elders of the church are constantly busy busy with their own sins and with the sins of others in the congregation. They struggle along with the people. They agonize when to admonish and how to admonish, when to apply discipline and when not. They have to deal with heresies and wrong practices creeping into the church. Constantly they have to be on the alert. They must persevere also when they encounter opposition and difficult issues to deal with, such as all the ramification of the COVID pandemic. But this passage shows that their work is not in vain. In the vision of John, we see that the elders, together with the whole church of God, will receive their reward. They will be sitting on thrones. They will receive their crowns. The text says that the elders cast those crowns that they receive before the throne of God. Does that mean that they don't want those crowns? No, it is an acknowledgement that they have received their reward from God alone. And thereby they attribute ownership to God. They belong to Him. And they give thanks to Him for what He has done. For He is also the one who equips them for their task. And so, what do we do? 
as we reflect on our own situation here on earth? Well, brothers and sisters, we continue to do what we must do, namely to worship God in every way possible, in church, in our homes, in our minds, wherever we are, we worship him. We hang on to him through all trials and tribulation and are not afraid. We hang on to them also in the midst of prosperity. And we do not depend on earthly splendor or riches. That's all fleeting. In the end, it means nothing. It's nothing worth compared to the riches that we have with God. And so we do not have to be afraid or despondent. No, we have every reason to be full of joy. God is on his throne. Do you see him? In your mind, he rules. He is the center of the whole universe. And as long as we put our trust in him, nothing and no one can do his harm. Because God is on his throne, all is well. To him be the glory. Amen.